live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. It's great to be with you. Here we go again. We got a lot of things to get into. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, let me just read the list real quick, and then we'll dive deep into most of them. Not all of them, but here are the big things going on in the world right now from an apolitical lens that we can address are the biggest rice shortage in decades, which feeds the majority of the world. Well, guess what? Not anymore. Um, Pfizer and China uh, are in a partnership. I'll read that from investing.com. This whole Ray Epps fiasco is unbelievable. Uh, it's it's mind-blowing. And then uh, Italy bans chat GPT. Uh, is the EU going to follow? And is the future human? Uh, that's going to be the main topic to today. But first things first. So let's talk about this whole Ray Epps debacle. Now, I have an episode that was done in July, July of 2022 about Ray Epps. Go back and listen to it, okay? I'm going to read a tweet that I tweeted out yesterday that's going kind of viral. What should I say? Listen, there is no other Twitter account that drops truth bombs like at KOGZ. That's just the truth. Nothing but the truth. So here's what I tweeted. Quote, if you can look at facts dispassionately and through an apolitical lens, this 60-minute segment with Ray Epps is one of the most bizarre things ever. Every person who had as much involvement as Ray Epps got arrested, put in jail, or had some legal battle. However, he is the victim who we should feel bad for. This is as close to a, quote, don't believe your own eyes moment as you can get. I don't care what happens either way. I just want us to be honest. That's what I tweeted. And apparently that resonated with a lot of people because there are reason there are people looking for reasonable people that want that are saying reasonable things. Okay. I am the furthest thing from a supporter of Republicans or Trump in particular or whatever. Okay. All I look at is content. I look at the evidence and then I judge it based on the merit of the evidence. That's it. And if you watch this 60 minutes segment with this Ray Epps character, okay, I'm not even saying he's a fed or something. I'm just saying he is so obviously part of this quote unquote insurrection that anybody who had as much involvement or as much video of what he did has either been put in jail, has been going, you know, through the court system. And this guy is getting like puff pieces in the New York Times and 60 Minutes is saying that you're a conspiracy theorist if the video you're watching when he goes, we got to go into the Capitol, we got to go into the Capitol. Tomorrow, we are going to go to the Capitol where all your problems are. The Capitol is that way. And then literally on video, two seconds before the first barricade is pushed over, he whispers in some guy's ear something. And then literally, I don't know, four and a half seconds later, the guy that he whispered his ear into pushed the barricade over and pushed over the police officer. And you're and people are saying you're a conspiracy theorist if you think this guy has anything to do with it, even though, oh, and the, wait, wait, here's the craziest part. There's a text message. This is in the uh, in his interview in the like FBI documents. He, and they've said this in the 60 minutes. They said this in the 60 minutes. They're basically what they're doing in the 60 minutes is like they're putting all the overwhelming evidence out there and saying you're crazy if you believe it. They're just going all out propaganda like. If you like, just hear it, here's everything. And then don't believe your own eyes. Believe us. I mean, this is full fledged 1984, like full out. Okay. You do not have to be political to see that. Okay. If you are apolitical and you are unbiased, you can clearly see that. And he wrote in that text message to his um, son who he was there with. 
<clears throat> he texted him. I was at the front with a few people and I orchestrated it. That was the he wrote that when when the barricade was breached. Okay, he wrote I orchestrated it. And if you think that has and they asked him about that in sixty minutes. To be fair, I mean sixty minutes literally put all the legit video on there that we covered on this podcast last July, all of it. When he's and he was so outrageous that the people there, excuse me, <clears throat> that the people there that were protesting thought he was so over the top and they play they played this on 60 minutes where they were cheering they were like fed fed fed." (laughs) like they thought he was a fed because he was so over the top he was like you know telling everybody what to do he was organizing he was getting everybody to the capitol and then this guy is supposed to like your conspiracy theories if you think that like he's guilty well listen if it's an insurrection and we need to get everybody in trouble for the insurrection this guy is definitely one of those people and listen if i was the fbi if I was, you know, part of this whole operation, I would have just been like, listen, let's put this guy to the court system. Let's like give him like, let's just put him on house arrest because he can't leave his like trailer now anyways for like a year and say he was guilty or whatever. And then let the time pass and he would have had his life back. Just why are you like, why are you going so far, far out and saying this guy is 100% innocent and he has nothing to do with it? What are you thinking, you conspiracy theorists? Yet <laughs> there's more video of him than other people who are still in jail. It's crazy. I'm not even like, it's crazy. It's so weird. So that is unbelievable. Go watch that 60 minute segment. It is bizarre. It is bizarre. Um, so let's talk about the rice shortage, shall we? Yeah. So, um, there's going, we talked about the famine on here, uh, many times, many times, but, uh, you know, listen, it's okay. We don't want, people don't give us credit. We get censored, but we're, we're, we're amassing a massive audience. Now my voice is really weird today. I'm sorry about that, but you know what? When you speak truth, it doesn't matter how raspy your voice sounds. It matters about the content. Okay. It's not about the messenger. It's not about how it sounds. It's about the content of what's being said. Like, remember that when you assess other things, um, this is from uh, MSN.com. A major worldwide rice shortage may be on the horizon. Americans have already experienced their fair share of grocery rolls this past year, including major shortages and skyrocketing prices for grocery staples like eggs and butter. Though some of these shortages and elevated prices are starting to ease, consumers around the world now need to contend with a major shortage of another grocery staple. Excuse me, rice. The world is facing the largest deficit in rice supplies in roughly two decades, and prices have skyrocketed as a result, CNBC reported. This is bad news for consumers in the United States, where rice prices were up 9.5% in March 2023 compared to March 2022, according to the latest data. But this news is even grimmer for other countries, okay, that are big importers of rice and rely more heavily on the grain. A commodities analyst for Fitch Solutions, which provides financial insights and data, told CNBC that because rice is such a big staple in several Asian markets, rice prices are a big determining factor in food price inflation and food security. I've covered many times now, okay? I've covered articles about the UN warning that we're going to have the biggest famine ever, uh, that uh, uh, um, that uh, going that because of what's going on in Ukraine and, and uh, with Russia and the grain exports, that it's going to lead to famine in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, it's all over there, okay? And how, you know, Bill Gates is trying to engineer a fake, like, rice, you know, kernel so you can feed everybody the Bill Gates rice kernel, whatever it's called. But uh, this is crazy. This is terrible. This is terrible for the peasants. I mean, this is terrible. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. Of course, of course, of course, of course. So uh, here's another one. Glo- report, global rice shortage will be worse in decades. 
News Nation, the global rice market is on track to experience its biggest shortage in 20 years, potentially hurting importers and driving up prices. India already has banned broken rice exports and taxes, imposed a 20% tax on white rice shipments to keep domestic costs down. That's partially attributable to the price hikes that accompanied the uh, survey sickness and the Russia-Ukraine war. So they're saying, listen, if you're in a wealthy country, your prices are going to go up. And if you're in a poor country, you are just going to starve. Welcome to Sri Lanka, everybody. It's great. This is CNBC, April 18, 2023. Global rice shortage is set to be the biggest in 20 years. Key points, three key points, we'll move on. Rice production for 2023 is set to log its largest shortfall in two decades. At the global level, the most evident impact of the global rice deficit has been and still is decade-high rice prices. And there's a strained supply of rice as a result of the ongoing war in Ukraine, as well as weather woes in rice-producing economies like China and Pakistan. And the fact that they think there's too many humans on earth and rice creates a big carbon footprint. So that's fantastic. Terrible for the people. Terrible. But I need to get this news out there. You need to share it with people and we need to come together and we need to realize we're all on the same team. Okay. That's the most important thing. Now, next thing, Pfizer and China. All right. Pfizer, this is from investing.com. Pfizer signed strategic cooperation pact with China's Sinopharm. This is April 13th of this year. Pfizer said on Thursday is that it has signed a strategic cooperation agreement with China's Sinopharm Group and plans to seek approval to market 12 innovative drugs in China through 2025. Sinopharm's president, Liu Yang, said during the signing event in Shanghai on Wednesday that the cooperation involved accelerating the delivery of Pfizer's new drugs to patients, according to a statement from Pfizer. So listen, I don't know how far this goes. All I want to make clear is that Pfizer is now in a strategic cooperation with a Chinese firm and um we're very concerned about chinese being an adversary and all of a sudden being tiktok well just know that um the company that uh, uh i don't know has given a lot of people medication over the past three years is now in partnership with china and every business in china is linked to the ccp so um yeah i'm not saying anything nefarious is going on here i'm just saying you should be aware that if you are part of this um this, I guess, cult, this Pfizer cult, I don't know what else to call it, um, that they are in bed with China now. And I just think we sh that should be known. I don't know if it's good or bad. Maybe it's fantastic. I have no idea. Maybe it's lovely. I don't know. I very, I care very little, actually. I just want to be known because this doesn't get a lot of coverage in the quote unquote mainstream press, even though in five years, the Jonathan Kogan show and others will be the mainstream press. Okay. This is just the beginning of a new era where truth is distributed, distributed, decentralized, and given to you from the peasants, by the peasants, of the peasants, for the peasants. That's it. Okay. Now we're going to get into something that I'm told is don't believe your own eyes. It's a conspiracy theorist. If you say things like, oh, the U.S. is creating a global surveillance network to survey everything, or they want to monitor everything, uh, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. They don't want to do that. You know, uh, central bank digital currencies. No way. That's a conspiracy theory. Um, well, this is a speech from 2018. This is five years ago. The top advisor to the World Economic Forum is Yuval Noah Harari, all right? He wrote Sapiens, Homo Deus, which is like human God. This is a speech he gave in between like world leaders at World Economic Forum in 2018. This is five years ago where he says exact. oh, and also another where he says exactly that, which is the U.S. is creating full surveillance on the world. And even Israel is creating a surveillance regime on the West Bank. Like 
That's you're seeing democracies trying to potentially create a digital dictatorship. That is what he says. I'm going to play it. Okay. And, but if you say this, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, this is 2018. I'm sure they made a little bit of progress. Now it's 2023 and we're seeing some digital dictatorship tendencies with the censorship and, you know, the big tech being in bed with the government, all this stuff. It's just unbelievable. But you're a conspiracy theorist. If you say something that was said among the biggest, the most elites ever, which is World Economic Forum in 2018. So why don't we just get right to it? Um, but the last part is he talks about transhumanism, which I'm also told I'm also told is a conspiracy theory. Transhumanism. If you think there's people out there that are part of this transhumanism movement that want to combine humans with machines, you know, blah, blah, blah you are a conspiracy theorist. They don't want to do that. Well, his whole speech is about how we might be the last homo sapiens ever okay all right this is the guy who gives orders to klaus schwab aka your father okay so why don't we just play it and you can just come up to your own conclusion this is 2018 you probably haven't heard this this is 2018 it's 2023 now all right this will make sense to you now topics covered here we go we're gonna get into um future of life uh will the future be human democracy versus digital dictatorships just take a listen and make your own evaluation here we go this is at the world economic forum annual meeting 2018 yuval noah harari talk to you today about the future of our species and really the future of life we are probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens within a century or two earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us then we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. These will be the main products of the economy, of the 21st century economy. Not textiles and vehicles and weapons, but bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Those who control the data control the future, not just of humanity, but the future of life itself. Because today, data is the most important asset in the world. In ancient times, land was the most important asset. And if too much land became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into aristocrats and commoners. Then in the modern age, in the last two centuries, machinery replaced land as the most important asset. And if too many of the machines became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into classes, into capitalists, and proletariats. Now data is replacing machinery as the most important asset. And if too much of the data becomes concentrated in too few hands, humanity will split not into classes. It will split into species, into different species. Now why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack 
human beings and other organisms. I just want to make sure that you heard that clearly. You can hack human beings. So now you are hackable, okay? You are hackable, okay? You are going to be hacked. You are now just a computer for the big corporations and big governments so they can hack you, so they can change you, manipulate you, whatever. They're going to hack you. I just want to make sure you, you heard that. This is the future masters of the universe, which, by the way, in 2023 was the title of the World Economic Forum. Uh, that was They usually have like a topic du jour, like, you know, 2020 was the Great Reset. Wow, what a coincidence. Uh, 2023 was ma the masters of the universe. And now he's talking about who will be the masters of the universe. Well, this is a race to become decentralized or more centralized. We're in the race right now. Here we go. There is a lot of talk these days about hacking computers and email accounts and bank accounts and mobile phones. But actually, we are gaining the ability to hack human beings. Now, what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. Not data about what I buy or where I go, but data about what is happening inside my body and inside my brain. Until today, nobody had the necessary computing power and the necessary data to hack humanity. Even if the Soviet KGB or the Spanish Inquisition followed you around everywhere, 24 hours a day, watching everything you do, listening to everything you say. Still, they didn't have the computing power and the biological knowledge necessary to make sense of what was happening inside your body and brain and to understand how you feel and what you think and what you want. But this is now changing because of two simultaneous revolutions. On the one hand, advances in computer science and especially the rise of machine learning and AI are giving us the necessary computing power. And at the same time, advances in biology and especially in brain science are giving us the necessary understanding, biological understanding. You can really summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. This is the big insight of modern life sciences, that organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms. And we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. Now, when the two revolutions merge, when the infotech revolution merges with the biotech revolution, what you get is the ability to hack human beings. And maybe the most important invention for the merger of infotech and biotech is the biometric sensor that translates biochemical processes in the body and the brain into electronic signals that a computer store and analyze. And once you have enough such biometric information and enough computing power, you can create algorithms that know me better than I know myself. And humans really don't know themselves very well. 
This is why algorithms have a real chance of getting to know ourselves better. We don't really know ourselves. To give an example, when I was 21, I finally realized that I was gay after living for several years in denial. And this is not exceptional. A lot of gay men live in denial for many years. They don't know something very important about themselves. Now imagine the situation in 10 or 20 years when an algorithm can tell any teenager exactly where he or she is on the gay-straight spectrum and even how malleable this position is. The algorithm tracks your eye movements, your blood pressure, your brain activity, and tells you who you are. Now, maybe you personally wouldn't like to make use of such an algorithm, but maybe you find yourself in some boring birthday party of somebody from your class at school, and one of your friends has this wonderful idea that I've just heard about this cool new algorithm that tells you your sexual orientation, and wouldn't it be very a lot of fun if everybody just takes turns testing themselves. Seems pretty on topic for 2023, does it not? The obsession of sexual orientation, you know, get, you know, getting the algorithms at a very young age, being able to malleable, seeing how malleable children are with, with sexual orientation. It's just, listen, I don't have a take either way on it. I'm just saying, don't you see how there's similarities to what he's saying is going to happen and then what's actually happening five years later? That's all. Just an objective observation. It's not even an opinion. Right. We see this obsession with gender and sex and all this stuff. And he's saying that it's malleable. And I feel like we are. It seems like today we're doing things to test that we're testing it right now. At least it seems so algorithms. They love you. This algorithm, as everybody else is watching and commenting. What would you do? Would you just walk away? And even if you walk away and even if you keep hiding from your classmates or from yourself, you will not be able to hide from Amazon and Alibaba and the secret police. As you surf the internet, as you watch videos or check your social feed. Wait, the who are the secret police? Is that just a normal thing to say? The secret police? Was that like uh, the intelligence agencies or something? What is that about? Algorithms will be monitoring your eye movements, your blood pressure, your brain activity, and they will know they could tell Coca-Cola, that if you want to sell this person some fuzzy, sugary drink, don't use the advertisement with the shirtless girl. Use the advertisement with the shirtless guy. You wouldn't even know that this was happening, but they will know, and this information will be worth billions. Once we have algorithms that can understand me, better than I understand myself, they could predict my desires, manipulate my emotions, and even take decisions on my behalf. And if we are not careful, the outcome might be the rise of digital dictatorships. In the 20th century, democracy generally outperformed dictatorship because democracy was better at processing data and making decisions. We are used to thinking about democracy and dictatorship in ethical or political terms. But actually, these are two different methods to process information. Democracy processes information in a distributed way. 
It distributes the information and the power to make decisions between many institutions and individuals. Dictatorship, on the other hand, concentrates all the information and power in one place. Now, given the technological conditions of the 20th century, distributed data processing worked better than centralized data processing, which is one of the main reasons why democracy outperformed dictatorship and why, for example, the US economy outperformed the Soviet economy. But this is true only under the unique technological conditions of the 20th century. In the 21st century, new technological revolutions, especially AI and machine learning, might swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. They might make centralized data processing far more efficient than distributed data processing. And if democracy cannot adapt to these new conditions, then humans will come to live under the rule of digital dictatorships. And already at present, we are seeing the formation of more and more sophisticated surveillance regimes throughout the world, not just by authoritarian regimes, but also by democratic governments. The US, for example, is building a global surveillance system, while my home country of Israel is trying to build a total surveillance regime in the West Bank. So what about saying that the government wants to survey us, not even the global network, just saying as an American, the government wants to have a surveillance system and track everything we do and eventually get a central bank digital currency. What about that as a conspiracy theory when in 2018 they're talking about how it's being developed? Like what? Are people just unwilling to look into information and learn and just be aware of what's going on? They just take the headlines and they, they listen to the uh, the actors and pundits that are, you know, on the mainstream media that are paid to lie to you and keep you in the matrix. It's absolutely unbelievable. This is 2018 talking about how democracies are going towards digital dictatorships. And yet, if you mention that in 2023, you're a psychopath conspiracy theorist. The truth is you are just looking into facts more so than someone else who's just reading headlines and they don't want to believe that the world's changing, but the world is changing. And if you don't realize the world's changing and do something about it, well, you're going to wake up in that digital dictatorship here. We like to be free. We are a pro freedom podcast. We don't care about political views. We don't even believe in politics. We just care about being free. That's it. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Just leave me alone. Enough is enough. All right. You got enough information on me. You don't need to track everything we do. Leave me alone. Leave us alone. Leave all the peasants alone. That's it. We're not conspiracy theorists. We're just freedom lovers. That's it. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, this will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity, 
This will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life, four billion years ago. Okay, so let me get this straight. The elites that have lied to us for decades are now going to transform biology itself and we're supposed to trust them? Are you out of your skull? That's insane. The elites that are making the world such a worse place and are so corrupt and full of shit. Okay, I don't know what else. I don't know what else to say. They just have poop up to their brain. Okay, it's unbelievable. They are human walking shit people. All right, I don't even know what else to call it. All right, and we're supposed to trust them to manufacture a new human and fuck with biology. You have to be out of your fucking mind to believe that, okay? That ain't happening on this peasant's watch, okay? No elite is messing with biology when they can't even get the facts straight during a pandemic, all right? Let's take baby steps. So the future of life is with the peasants, not the elites. This is fucking irrational, all right? Irrational. For 4 billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rules of the game of life. All of life for 4 billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design, of some God above the clouds. But our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, science may enable life after being confined to, for four billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may ena enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. So after four billion years of organic life shaped by natural selection, we are entering the era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. This is why the ownership of data is so important. If we don't regulate it, a tiny elite may come to control not just the future of human societies, but the shape of life forms in the future. What is the one thing we preach on this podcast? There's only two parties, the elites and the peasants. And the elites are trying to shape everything and shape life. And the peasants are just trying to be free. And they just say it. They say it. What we preach on this podcast, they say it at their meetings. The elites just talk about it in your face because they don't think you could do anything about it. They don't think you can band together with your brother and sisters. They don't think you truly want to be free. They don't think you're willing to fight for freedom and for the next generation to be free, but you are. And that freedom is with information and that freedom is with podcasts and videos and the John the Kogan show and other people. So share this baby, share it. We're almost, we're, it's almost over. So how to regulate the data, the ownership of data? We have had 10,000 years of experience regulating the ownership of land. We have had a few centuries of experience regulating the ownership of industrial machinery, but we don't have much experience in regulating the ownership of data, which is inherently far more difficult because unlike land and unlike machinery, 
data is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. It can move at the speed of light, and you can create as many copies of it as you want. So does the data about my DNA, my brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me or to some corporation or to the government or perhaps to the human collective? I mean, this is crazy. At present, big corporations are holding much of the data and people are becoming worried about it. But mandating governments to nationalize the data may curb the power of the big corporations only in order to give rise to digital dictatorships. And politicians really, many politicians at least, are like musicians. And the instrument they play on is the human emotional and biochemical system. A politician gives a speech and there is a wave of fear all over the country. A politician tweets, and there is an explosion of anger and hatred. Now, I don't think we should give these musicians most sophisticated instruments to play on. And I certainly don't think they are ready to be entrusted with the future of life in the universe, especially as many politicians and governments seem incapable of producing meaningful visions for the future, and instead what they sell the public are nostalgic fantasies about going back to the past. And as a historian, I can tell you two things about the past. First of all, it wasn't fun. You wouldn't like to really go back there. And secondly, it's not coming back. So nostalgic fantasies really are not a solution. So who should own the data? I frankly don't know. I think the discussion has just begun. Most people, when they hear the talk about regula regulating data, they think about privacy, about uh, shopping, about companies, corporations that know where I go and what I, I buy. But this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are much more important things at stake. So the discussion has hardly begun and we cannot expect instant answers. We had better call upon our scientists, our philosophers, our lawyers, and even our poets, or especially our poets, to turn their attention to this big question. How do you regulate the ownership of... So I'm going to end it there, but why have we seen this all of a sudden huge push for like science and like praising science and follow the science and I am the science and you got to believe in science more than anything else and do as we say, put what we want in you, all this stuff. And then this speech, which happens five years earlier, or at that point, I guess a couple years earlier is like, we're going to see the rise of a scientific biomedical establishment that is going to veer into being a digital dictatorship for the peasants. I mean, come on. This is absolutely unbelievable. I just want to show you the proof is in the pudding. The pudding is in the proof, whatever the hell that means. They say it. They talk about it. They share it on the, they share it on the internet, on this grand stage. They tell the world, okay? It's in your face. They want to control you. And democracies are becoming digital dictatorships that they're telling you they want to save democracy by subverting democracy and becoming a digital dictatorship. How do we save democracy, Jesse? 
well, Jonathan, I think we should subvert it and become a dictatorship so we can save democracy. What? Like, what? What are we talking about here? This is insane. What are we talking about? You don't save something by subverting that very thing you're trying to save. That is just like ludicrous. All right. Let's get our heads back onto our heads or on our shoulders. You shouldn't put your head on your head. That's weird. Get your head back on your shoulders. We need to all become a place of truth. And then we can argue about the nuances. Do we have more taxes, less taxes? You know, should we do social, uh, you know, uh, these social institutions? Should we not? Should we do these programs? Should we not? Those are great discussions. They're fantastic. I don't have a problem with that. You could think either way. We're currently having discussions where people are living in alternate false reality and then people are living in the truth. Okay. We got to just get everybody on the truth, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and then debate policies that we used to back in the old days. All right. Let's just do that. All right. Let's do it before we they divide and conquer. They're making the peasants fight while they are building their digital dictatorship for the last five years. And you see it happening in front of your eyes. If you have somewhat of a, if you have any brain cells left and are apolitical and are unbiased and have no dog in the fight except for freedom, you will see it. Okay. This has nothing to do with being political. In fact, you have to be apolitical to see the truth. It's so obvious. All right. From the Ray Epps 60 minutes ridiculousness to this speech about democracies turning into digital dictatorships five years ago, put it together, put the pieces together. Everything's connected. And then you also got a famine coming. You got them wanting to ban rice because it's too much of a carbon footprint. Yeah. Most of the people in the world eat rice. All of it's connected by intelligent design. You understand what's going on. This is the Jonathan Kogan show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Definitely subscribe to the Rumble channel. Please follow on Twitter at KOGZ. I'll be back tomorrow. I just want to show you that all the evidence is out there. You're just not getting the information. So what I'm doing is I'm sifting through the madness and I'm giving you the truth. That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. We're in this together. I love you. Have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.